Welcome to Back to Basics, Babies, Bodies and Behavior with Mal Cyril and Ulrika Kasselbrandt. And today we are going to talk about Mel Cyril's latest book, Clinging Young, and The Science of In-Arms Caring. And we're going to have a discussion on the book today. But I guess we should start with an introduction as usual. And uh, as I said, my name is Ulrika and I live in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, I am a baby wearing consultant, in-arms peer supporter, and I also run a peer supporting school. And I also started up with um, with educating um, baby wearing consultants actually, and doing a pilot uh, with a couple of my peer supporters now. So it's really exciting and I'm also a doula and uh, written a book about elimination communication and with me here is Vera that is five months so we will see how the recording goes with her over to you Mel hi yes I'm Mel I live in Ipswich in England I'm the author of in arms carrying and clinging young and I teach baby wearing and in arms carrying through my baby wearing school called Carried. I also do public speaking engagements from time to time and you can next hear me speak at the Danish Baby Wearing Festival which is on the 23rd of February in Copenhagen. I got your book when Vera was I think a couple of weeks old and I know I said to you that, yeah, I'll read it tonight. You know, I get back to you tomorrow. <laughs> and then like three months later, I'm like, now I finished. <laughs> you cannot forget how much time it takes with a small baby. And even though mm. I was breastfeeding a lot and could read in that sense, my brain wasn't really that active uh, for for reading a whole book just like that. But... I have read it and I'll look through it again now. And I just thought I wanted to start with a general question. Why did you write Clinging Young for the listeners to have not read it? Uh, (laughs) I think the honest answer to that is twofold. Um, One, because of the wonderful reception I've had to my ideas um a lot of credit to you thank you very much for for giving me the uh the platform in sweden that you did at your conference in 2017 um so yeah just this like oh my goodness there are other people who get it and want to know more i must share you know more knowledge uh in and a fairly accessible format so yeah that that was a driving force behind it my decision um but the on the other hand it was a decision which I made with practically no hesitation despite your your well-known um ah lost my words again Despite the the horrible writing process of the first book, um, I decided without much hesitation to go for book number two um, because uh, 
I felt the need to retreat from <laughs> from work and life in general. So yes, it was it was a twofold decision, but um, hopefully a very good one to make. Yes, is it like birth? Maybe did you kind of partly forget, and after a while you feel it's worth it to do it again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, in some ways. Um, but in some ways, this this was an even even tougher experience in some ways. <laughs> but um, I guess it depends. I, I know. To... I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I was just going to say because of um, you know how how hard I am on myself and the sort of deadlines I create for myself, um, mm. and that's based around the way that I know that I work best, uh, but doesn't factor into um, the the periods of time where health and other things make it harder to meet those deadlines. So yeah, it was. It was a bit of a painful process this time, but um, but this is this is the thing that I love about writing is that once it's done, it's done and out there for eternity. Mm. So, you know, <laughs> so yeah, been spending time recovering from that writing process again for embarking on some interesting things next year. Mm, yes, yeah. looking forward to that. And I guess with birth, it's like, I know my first birth experience, I was like, yeah, I want to do this again, you know, and now after my third, I'm like, I'm so glad I don't have to do this again. So, <laughs> so it's, that, it can be different both with books and with birth. So, yeah, that's, that's funny that you should say that because um, the first thing that I said after, um, after I had Isaac, my fourth baby and my last baby was, mm -hmm. thank God goodness I never have to do that again mm. <laughs> <laughs> not oh hello beautiful baby it's just like relief <laughs> yes yes okay back to the book yes um, how is it different from your first book the first one in arms caring how is clinging young different well I think it kind of explains it in the title really um science of in arms carrying um the first book <clears throat> excuse me was designed as a, a broad spectrum introduction to the subject aimed primarily at caregivers so um kind of going in depth in some areas but not too technical um and you know a nice little introduction to the subject for caregivers and anybody interested in the subject so you know baby wearing educators and um people who who work with babies and children um but then you know personally obviously my frustration after writing the book that there was so much more to say on the subject and you know, really wanting to go in depth and then finding you and your interest. And I finally had my in-arms geek to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> have fun and explore all of this more with. Um, but it's, I guess, it's 
you have this information in your brain and you need to get it out in various formats to kind of, I don't know, for me to expand more and grow. I, I have a kind of specific process. But um, yeah, so the second book was like, yes, good, people are listening. Now I really want to propel this um, this concept and this new area of exploration into the scientific community so and obviously you know give give the enthusiasts more you know who are asking for more and not getting it so I kind of came in from the opposites um spectrum there um really digging more into the science behind it you know why why are we designed to be carried in arms what ways are we designed to facilitate the carrying process as well because literally everywhere you look there's just so much information to do with this so much evidence that just needs a person to look from a slightly different perspective to see a whole new picture so yeah Yes, um, and I would I would like to look at the foreword a little bit. The foreword, um, uh, Henrik Nordholt. The yeah. sorry, I would like to look at the foreword a little bit. Henrik Nordholt, who wrote it, who got a PhD and is chief science officer of at Ergo Baby. I think he wrote it so beautifully in the beginning of the foreword. Like I'm gonna read here. Uh, this is a very important and, dare I say, revolutionary book for the future development of parent-infant contact practices. And I urge you to read Malsuro's brave, compelling and riveting exploration of hitherto uncharted land. I don't know, riveting and hitherto, if I <laughs> pronounce it right. <laughs> but uh, And... Uh, and I really feel, for me, the book is really this, as he's, he's writing. And I, not only the book, Yay. it's our discussions and new ideas that I've met. And uh, I got an introduction to in arms caring through Katie Bowman, I would say, the biomechanic. But it was through you that I learned about active caring. And that is something yeah. different, actually. And for me, this Clinging Young book goes into even more depth about yeah. the active caring and it's taken time for me to process the difference between the passive and the active caring it's like it took time for my brain to kind of <laughs> let that sink in i think and i think that's um when people talk about in caring i don't think they most people don't see the difference and i think that's like a message yeah. that needs to get out and that that that's like active participation participation both from the from the infant and from the caregiver but as a caregiver you only have to facilitate facilitate the environment for it mm -hmm. for the baby to to hang on and just follow his, its uh, natural development path but i want to say read something more that that hendrick wrote in the foreword and it's in the end it's he says uh, importantly, I do not in any way read Mouse's book as an attack on current baby-wearing practices, but more as a paradigm-shifting perception of the infant, 
which will necessitate adjustments in how and when we use carriers and ultimately also in carrier designs. And for me, this is so much uh, about elimination communication, actually. And mm. uh, not only about uh, elimination communication or caring, it's about the infant, actually, and how we view communication yes. Yes. Uh, with the infant and the approach we choose and what angle we view from. So um, how we view a baby. Like that, there's um, there's so much with the with the baby and the baby communication and um, the baby's possibilities to be explored for us if we just look for it if we're just open yeah. to <laughs> take in exactly. and um, caring active caring and elimination communication is such a big part of that and it's just such a like when I got into elim elimination communication, I was so amazed that like, man, are we missing this in our culture? It's crazy. Mm. You know? And now I can feel it's the same within arms. Like, man, it's crazy that we're missing this. Yep. Uh, just because <laughs> of cultural culture norms. So I agree a lot with, with uh, Norholt in his foreword. Uh, but even, even, even more want to emphasize on like the the communication aspect that it's just spectacular and for for mm. the kids it's just like there every day it's nothing strange it's just it's it's cool Absolutely. to us because we haven't kind of noticed it or, or, or yeah. seen it yeah um, i do have to i have to say that was a, a fantastic forward wasn't it and um i i really do think that he summarizes the importance of this work very very clearly and concisely yes yes most definitely um and something that I've, i picked out some stuff in the book that i would like to discuss and you can add just anything you would like to okay. um, lift forward but and i also asked um in the in arms uh, facebook group the swedish facebook group for in arms caring um if anyone had any questions on your book or okay. in, about clinging in general mm. and it was about the critical period hypothesis mm -hmm. you could say and and about missing about missing the the active and about missing facilitating uh, an active caring environment yeah. uh, and and i want to start to just so you write about it and I want to start about just giving my own thoughts about it with Vera if okay just to put yep. in, in some of my own perspective but I could feel that this open window um, for for when to facilitate active an environment for active caring with your, your own body um, I, f I feel it, it, it starts from start from birth actually from when they're born uh, I feel with Vera and like she's five months now uh, she turned five months a couple of days ago and I felt like this whole five months has been a open window and a really important um, or I don't know um, like it's not like it's week one to two and then week 
mm-hmm. 14 to 16 that's been the most important i feel it's like more the this this is just my reflections i'm interested to hear your thoughts about it um it's more like portions of this often <laughs> i don't know how important it is like every mm-hmm. day or how much of the day or i guess it depends on the child as well like some yeah kids are also very um um de- develop motor developmentally like early or whatever maybe they catch on more fast but i could feel that there's so yeah. many things in this like first it's as I see it though, and you also write about it's like neck control and then it's arm control and, and arm control, control developing into like be able to make a hook around my arm. And then it's also like hand control and it's finger control and it's reaching for things and then using of hands, you know, the fingers very actively and also the nails <laughs> actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really <laughs> hurt and it um yeah it hurt a bit with the nails then i had to be a bit cautious Mm. about like really cutting her nails um but i could really feel that she used her fingers very actively Uh, and it's been interesting to see that all these hands and finger control when it comes to the active carrying um started and was active much earlier than her reaching for toys Mm-hmm. Like now at f- like maybe four and it's been the last two weeks actually that she is starting to like hold stuff with her hands and trying to lick on things and bring them to her mouth and uh, mouth and stuff. But it felt like when it came to the the caring process, this um, using the arms and hands was much more earlier actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I've seen it in your pictures and seeing you carry her. Definitely much earlier, isn't it? But then also I also want to add that there's also this upper torso control and the rest of the mm-hmm. torso and and now I felt like for the last months since she started to like roll over from back to to stomach um it's she can widen her spread a lot more and she's starting to use her thighs in a different mm-hmm. way um and so I feel it's like there's so much stuff that that she has to get in there when it comes mm-hmm. to the active caring process, the clinging. So um, I feel it's a, an ongoing open window, uh, actually. And I would like to hear your thoughts about about that. Okay. So the way that I like to think about it and the critical periods to do with um, the carrying process is to think about physical development um, as a big umbrella uh, to begin with. And then underneath this umbrella, we have different physical developmental processes, yeah? Um, And within each physical developmental process, um, there are periods of time where the baby reaches um, a, a time of readiness to learn each new skill, yeah? Um, which then 
obviously can impact on other physical developmental processes as well and kind of expanding it all to to think about if we think about from birth even arguably from in the womb the baby is on a long path towards achieving bipedalism yeah Mm. can't can't do that in the first instance but all these physical developmental processes are aiding them on their way to achieving it and so locomotion in itself can be broken down into lots of other physical developmental processes can't it um and this is what i see with clinging as well it's the clinging concept is i guess maybe could be comparable to the locomotion concept in that within clinging we have different developmental processes that enables the next stage of achieving um different forms of clinging i suppose so i guess my belief is that um that the critical period hypothesis has a lot of weight to it um, because we the the infant is able to learn a skill maybe that's having head and neck control which is obviously an essential skill to um, being an active participant in in the carry in terms of the upper body um i've completely lost track of where i was going with this (laughs) okay what were you saying oh my god my mind just completely went blank we were talking about the your view on the on the window like yeah right okay yeah so being a long stretch and including a lot head neck yeah. So with each skill that needs to be learnt to enable a continuation of the clinging process as as well as other physical developmental processes, um, there's there's a a point of readiness for each skill which comes under the critical period hypothesis. Um there is no, you know, set number in terms of the window but a a lot of it is based on readiness and the theory within that is that the skill is learnt to a better quality within the hypothetical time frame but because the brain um, has plasticity even if the skill was not learnt during that time it should still be able to be possible to teach them the skill in the future so i think in terms of the skills required for clinging again as with so many other developmental processes there is so much crossover between the different skills um and i've said this in the past as well this is why i believe that we haven't completely lost the ability to cling is that the reflexes involved in active carrying and clinging 
um, are are there for other physical developmental processes as well. Therefore, they are being utilised in some way. You know. Hmm. Yeah. yeah and if... I don't know if that really answers your question. <laughs> like, I do believe it, it is. It is an ongoing. It is an ongoing. Yes. Um, lots of overlapping periods, critical periods. I I believe, and that's a, a subject of exploration for yeah. the future. Yeah, definitely. And I and I guess I um, at first I didn't think like I tried to. I I have from start used different holds, uh, but I I could feel like the shoulder hug, and then after that, like transferring her a bit down on my chest to my mm. holding her on my left or right side, with an arm under my under her bum, uh, and supporting her back as much as she needed, and it depended on like her her w- the state of alertness or mm. how curious she was and. And stuff like that and then after that now also like mm, using my underarm and holding her over her back i have her on my hip yeah. but i'm holding her my underarm diagonally diagonally um over her back and i could see that in kirkulonis book book a baby wants to be carried mm. that's that's mm. what she actually pictures there she has mm-hmm. a mom holding her six months old with uh, her arm diagonally over over the back. Anyways, I feel that these holes has been more active than mm. than other holds. And it was funny that I I, I was gonna take take a picture of a passive hold, so I was holding Vera like facing front and I took the picture and then in the picture I could see afterwards that she was really holding on to my my arm with her feet and her <laughs> and with her hands. I was like I could <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> That she was that was an active pose for her, even though she was not yeah. leaning towards my body. But that's um, a that's the thing, though, isn't it? It's like I don't believe that any, except when they're, you know, completely asleep or whatever, and a complete dead weight. They're they're in arms carrying is not passive even in the passive kind of holds it's the differentiation between what will foster more activity and clinging isn't it but it's, this is the thing isn't it it's so so really lovely when you're you're trying to explore one area and it throws up loads of other things you know yes and the observing the the human infant as well is fascinating but then I guess because I could feel with Vera that many holds now are more active. Some holds mm. are more active, but like even holding her facing forward can also be kind of an active mm. pose for her. Yeah. But then in our culture, we have a tendency to miss active holds. And what is mm. happening there actually? And and I got a question on that actually. What to do when you have missed the the active hold? And then it's usually the active hold for the legs that people miss mm. uh, and I could feel now now with where she's five months and for like the ta- the past one and a half months kind of it's been a transition period and a period of mm. me I have to be mindful about letting her work with her legs also yeah uh, and I guess if I now would just continue wearing her under her bum uh, like you also write in your book then 
she would probably not be as active with her legs as she could be if I would yeah. facilitate. Um, so any thoughts on that for, because that was uh, what one parent also asked about what to do if I have a one-year-old that I want to encourage oh. clinging. Is is that is uh, clinging young the book you would read or is it in arms carrying you would read and and would you like to comment on Ooh. that? As well? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's a bit of a difficult one. Um, I would say in arms carrying is really good for getting the visuals. Um, Clinging Young does not have any photos in it. A future edition probably will, but I wanted to get it out there and taking photos would have taken longer. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I think In Arms Carrying is a good one for that because it lays out the, the basics of in arms carrying and what affects it and how it affects other things and um also speaks about um older children who haven't learnt to cling and um that yes it indeed it is possible to teach them to cling again um and the most concise answer i can give regarding that um with with the with the note that every carrying dyad is different and it can be hard giving out general advice because there there are so many variables when it comes to um, something that is teamwork and requires abilities of the child um, and various support of the caregiver in a way that strapping a baby on doesn't the the answer that i would give is to refer back to the stages that babies go through um to learn clinging in the first instance so providing support um which enables the upper body to be more active and the legs to gradually build up doing the work and you know anecdotally with the the dyads that I've worked with, clinging is easily learnt. You know, the plasticity of the brain is brilliant and in babies and children, it's just tremendous, you know? It doesn't have to be like this, oh my God, it's going to be so difficult and require me to do, you know, all these different things, you know? It's just adapting how you're currently carrying them to teach them to be more active in it so yeah yeah and depending on what age you also can start to communicate them in the in, you can communicate yes. with them in different ways on mm. how they can be active and and so on they need yes and i've i also feel that so much things are intertwined. like i've um, reflected on that for me i think elimination communication and or listening or responding to baby's signal for pee poo is, is so much intervening into caring as yeah. well and it might also be um, affecting <laughs> Mira is taking a poop <laughs> break here 
yeah no elimination <laughs> communication here but i heard that she communicated <laughs> but anyway mm. uh yes i think when small babies communicate uh, they need to pee in food and this might also be even though you don't know about elimination communication you be babies might still become uh, they might still become fussy or they yeah they change in their way how they are mm. uh, in their in their mood mood change or something and then you will shift maybe to the other side or you will bring the baby out or you will change position mm. so i'm thinking really like elimination communication encourage uh, encourage this very your carry <laughs> because yes if you you feel that the baby's oh it's not content anymore so you might change side or or stuff like oh. that but it might actually be that it needs to pee or poo but really mm. i feel that maybe elimination communication is a a part of like promoting good hip health and and where you're carrying mm. to be able to, for the baby to move uh, even more and stuff like that so it's i feel it's intertwined it must be intertwined mm. and i i think it's like if we look at stuff too isolated um we, we like we don't see the whole picture and and then but i guess it's like with this with everything it's like this uh especially in like in our western world that uh every a lot of stuff is so isolated we don't we don't have a connection mm. to how how stuff how babies communication is intertwined with their motor development and and stuff like that so we miss out on so much that we could pick yes. up on actually And I, I know that babies, when you practice elimination communication with babies, usually those babies communicate their need to pee or poo more because mm. if you, I mean, they see that you respond to their signals, but, um, and I don't know, but we don't have any research on this yet about the baby's signals when it comes to elimination communication, not as I have seen yet though, not much research on it um but it would be interesting to see that how how much babies in general communicate their need to pee or poop uh, even though mm. we don't answer to it especially in the first couple of months and that this yeah. would facilitate that we change position and stuff like that for them or give them the breast which might make them uh, pee or poop or it's easier for them to relax or pee or poo if they get the breast mm. and stuff like that and I think you write you write a lot about communication in the Clinging Young, which I really enjoyed to read, and also about how like the verbal communication develops and how the baby develop their communication for getting picked up uh, and stuff yes. like that, which I think is really um, interesting. And then you could, I mean, you can decide to look also on like. Um, I guess it's different also how they communicate if the baby is mostly on your body or if it's mostly off your body. Mm. Um, like, I guess I think that maybe also could, um, like, if they're, what are they, what do they expect? What are they expecting? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I think it does evolve um, based on what they are expecting, what they are used to. Um, and as we see, again, anecdotally uh, with EC, is that the babies 
clearly signal for the most part um you know so, uh, to some point in the first six months um until they're effectively trained to go into the nappy and don't try to communicate so often anymore and why it can be more difficult starting EC with a baby who is roughly six months or older because again having to re reteach a skill um, which they had the potential to develop further but the the need wasn't met within the time frame of readiness so yeah it, I do definitely see lots of parallels with EC and also it's really interesting you say about the communication I've I found it um both interesting and well yeah obvious <laughs> when um when you did your breastfeeding cues project way back when we were first introduced uh to each other via Lorette um that you were planning on doing it to do with the baby and signaling in the sling or carrier but realized hang on <laughs> we can see these so much better when they're not in the carrier so yeah i think it's it's we we all possess the ability to see these things but um finding the context for it can be a bit harder sometimes if we've not already been told about something yeah, and I just got a wild, really wild thought about um, communication and caring and elimination kind of communication because if they um, signal much more reflexive in the first mm. six months, um, could there be like a, a connection to that after six months, a lot of babies can move on their own a lot more and they're much... Um, yeah. So, so they don't need... They don't need to signal in the same sense. They need to move <laughs> to different positions. Yes, but also I think it's worth thinking back to how, as in carrying with EC as well, the communication has to move from reflexive communication to learnt voluntary communication. You know, in the same way with carrying, that they have inbuilt ways of communicating or being active and so forth in in the early weeks and months but at some point the reflexive nature of um carrying clinging and communication has has to integrate and the learned behavior has to be learnt otherwise it's lost isn't it or, you know, in some cases, reflexes are retained, but that's a whole other topic <laughs> for another time. Um, yes. So, yes. Yeah, I think it goes back again to this kind of critical periods hypothesis and the fact that things can be retaught at a later date, but it it seems, it appears to be most beneficial for the baby to learn these things during that period of readiness within this critical period that is hypothesized for you know them to you know 
Yeah, and I'm thinking it's it's a use for them. I mean, sure, you could mm. the baby could probably a lot of babies or most babies maybe could could uh, learn to cling on at the as two year olds. Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think. Yeah, but, well, I retort the my benefit, out the benefit second. of carrying them a lot is really crucial their first two mm. years. So, I mean, yeah. it's, sure, you can have them on your back, in, on their back in a stroller for two years, and then they learn to cling on, and they will learn the, the physical uh, movements of it. But the benefit of the, of the closeness of the oxytocin, of the skin-to-skin, of the hormones, of the so much else mm. uh, and also and then also you know then be able to do this stuff of the clinging when the reflexes are integrating it's, I'm thinking mm. it's uh, well like do you if know someone what? would argument like yeah but sure but they can learn that when they're two you know it's fine mm. but I'm, yeah but there's so many benefits and also then about the if if uh, retained reflexes like that really should mm-hmm. be research yeah a lot i think there're going to be some i think something yeah. very very central to on body clinging that has been researched far and wide and proven is that um with with the primitive reflexes they are there to establish patterns of movement before the movement is learnt in and of itself at a voluntary level. But the the reflexive nature of these movements to begin with are building neural pathways. It's it's all essential to all central to the development of the central nervous system. It's all to do with physical and neurological development. You know, it's you, you can't deny that. You cannot get away from that side of things, um, which is why I believe that in with the lack of in-arms active clinging specific research, looking to the things that active carrying from newborn onwards entails we have the evidence there to warrant further investigation into carrying as a physical developmental process yes so i guess with the the clinging it's it's it needs to be it's um it's a verb you know it's it's something that you are doing it's a process Mm. it's not like um um, and I think that's an important aspect of it that you looked for. Is it's um, I'm working my brain here, but it's like elimination communication. Sure, I mean you can potty train a, a baby when it's two, you know, fine, it will get out of diapers. Mm. But it's it's the process that it's that yes. that's the thing. It's, yeah, and, and do it, and doing those things at the time that the body expects it to be doing these things. And do you know what the thing with with in arms carrying is that this has got to be one of the easiest parental interventions if if that's the right word to use to put into place because almost every single parent is 
literally having to do this every single day anyway because it's in the very nature of parenting and you know the physical development of the newborn onwards that they need to be transported from a to b and no matter how much we rely on um, containers such as prams and slings and so forth they still get picked up they still get held in arms and you know by helping them to be more active in it it's not taking more time you know in the already hectic you know life that parenting is it's literally yeah, it's something that we have to do well. exactly free. yeah and it's free <laughs> yeah so no company can make money of it i guess it, that's why it's not explored <laughs> more yes <laughs> i do yeah make money of and also slings and carriers you can make money of but yeah um, but this is so. the thing i think as well going back to the forward um where Henrik says at the end of it um, that he can clearly see, as I do try to get across anyway, that this is not an attack on baby wearing practices or whatever. And I personally, I don't believe that there there is designed to be a time where slings and carriers are, you know, extinct because we have our needs and wants with them you know mm-hmm. it's like it's i just believe the more information that parents have and caregivers um the more informed decisions they can make you know i was just discussing recently about how um you know there, there are times when we're gonna have to restrain the the baby or child in some way whether that's in the car seat because we have to drive somewhere or in a pram or in a sling because we we need them to be contained in some way um but knowing that babies need movement and physical activity means that even if we do choose to use something that may not be meeting their physical needs at that point in time we know that we can help counter that later on in the day or you know on another day during the week so yeah yeah and and, um and coming back to this with the with the pelvic floor uh just right quick i could feel that it in arm holding her in arms really facilitated something for me because it was much easier on my pelvic floor than carrying Mm -hmm. in a sling or a carrier and I've, uh, because in the beginning, um, because it was not static in the same sense, I moved her around and she, mm. uh, so it was not, I didn't, I didn't feel that it had an effect, but carrying in a sling and she fell asleep, um, for a longer time, that could be a bit heavy, you know, that could, I feel mm. so, so I feel it's, it's, it's both ways. It's not only for the baby, it's also for the. Mm, the parents, I think it's uh, maybe it's expected uh, from the body uh, of mm. the parent giving birth also. And yeah, I do. I do other... believe that as well, and that is something also that I'm interested in. You know, being explored further at some point is what are the actual physical benefits for the person carrying, especially the gestational parent. 
because you know we are we are designed in specific ways to be the primary carrying person as well as you know primary caregiver for other aspects such as feeding and um yeah so it's that is something really interesting to be explored yes what do you want the reader to take with him or her after reading the book like what would you what would you like to to see um i guess more enthusiasm for the subject and um hopefully inspiring others to to explore whatever areas of this subject that interest them further because um as I as I keep saying, I'm I am but one person, um, and it's so exciting with you being so interested and you, you know, taking your ideas further and doing your own research and stuff. It's been amazing because it's like it's doubled the amount of people that there were before. <laughs> but um, I think to you know to to move forwards um, with knowledge in any sort of area, we we have to encourage other people to um, to first find out about the subject and then apply their either expertise or interest area or whatever to that. And, you know, lots of people take this, this subject further and it kind of goes back to um, who I wrote the book for, um, it, it was designed to reach members of the scientific community, basically, as, as the primary audience. Um, as you know, that's, that's where I want this work to go so that it can be explored in the depth that, that it truly deserves. But, you know, it's also for the enthusiasts and... Um, yeah, I just, I guess, I hope that the book both inspires and educates people and encourages them to to explore in arms carrying further. Is there anything you would like to bring up from the book? I mean, it's, it really digs into a lot of, of uh, stuff and we only touch on like... Uh, some nuggets um, yeah. but there's there any something that you would like to to bring up that you feel is important with a book that maybe has not been discussed much or I mean most of this stuff has not Ooh. been discussed <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> the way you bring it up but uh, mm. um I guess we and we have touched on like the skin and Bella's hair a little bit on the in the mm. previous episode of the pod, but here you go into more depth about it, and uh, I can mm. really recommend the reading, um, for just uh, that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think yeah, there are so so many areas that I would love to discuss further, and um. M- my work uh, for the 
first half of next year is going to be very much focused on bringing certain parts of this book to life even further and you know really go more in depth with it but um i think an overarching thing to do with with this book that is so important is that i believe that i've clearly illustrated some of the the many ways that both the infant and the carrying person are literally adapted to facilitate carrying and active clinging you know um i I, I don't think that we can deny like the the physical evidence that we have which shows that we are absolutely a clinging species in infancy and that the body is incredibly designed to work in incredible ways in so many different ways and one of those ways is to do with with carrying our young yeah yes and and i get i get the the feeling that i almost now it's bad connection i wait a little bit here so the connection is better Better, better, better. Let me see if I come back. Do you hear me or? Okay. Um. Yes, now I think it's better. But I always, I almost get the feeling that I would like to add like the the word process after like the clinging young process. <laughs> it's like I uh, or for me for my brain right now what I'm thinking is like yeah it's for the child to be in the process and for the adult to be in the process it's not like uh, of course it can be a goal that um, you facilitate an environment for the baby's development so it doesn't retain reflexes that could be you could say a goal Uh, but that feels like there's the finish line that you're kind of after and I feel like it's it's the process uh, so I feel with Vera it's such an ongoing it's such an ongoing process with her but I have to think a little more about it and clinging is a verb so it is focusing on being something you're doing and not yes and, and this is product. this is why I truly believe that it is the missing developmental process of yeah. the modern day basically um and going forwards i will be striving to prove this <laughs> yes you know i mean we can see it clearly with our eyes and with the babies and children we both carry and work with but um yeah getting that data that's what we're after and I really want to thank you, Mel, for writing this book. That's letting okay. me and, it was and for you. <laughs> get to know more about the subject and to be able to dig into it. And I've shared a lot of my own uh, experience here today as well, because I guess I'm mm. so much into Vera and my own process right now. So that's what's focus in my head, kind of. Um, yeah. But... I want to say that in I would like to do a book circle in Stockholm 
about the book so and are trying to to find people through facebook but if there's any listeners out there that live in stockholm or close by they would like to join a book circle during now spring in 2019 please um give me a, a note and i will you can join it will be fun if we can be a group that meet physically to discuss the book in swedish i'm thinking so it's gets even more accessible for us swedish speakers mm. that sounds like fun <laughs> yes yes next step getting it translated into swedish <laughs> yes we should we should <laughs> yes mm.